The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay. On this week's episode of Film Jitsu, Jason is going to give us a review of Amityville 3D. We're going to do our bottom five movie houses and throw some staff picks your way before Jason tells me what film I have to suffer through as payback for the movie I gave him this week. But Jay, before we do all that, let's go ahead and roll the trailer. The whole world knows the story of this house. Now, it's terror takes on a new dimension. As the horror reaches out beyond the edge of the screen. Mr. Santo, I am going to confess that I know nothing about this film. You could tell me that Amityville 3D was about a Czechoslovakian border dispute. And I would have no, I'd be like, Oh really? In 3D. That's amazing. So I'm, I'm counting on you being truthful throughout this review. Otherwise really I'll have no idea. Does it at least connect to the Amityville horror? I need to start vaguely, vaguely. And and there's a major reason for that too. Okay. Interestingly, Amityville 3D titled Mm -hmm. as such, because it could not have the Amityville horror in the title. And the reason is because the Lutz family, who are the family that perpetrated the entire hoax when they moved out of that house. And sure. They sued producer, Dino De Laurentiis. Of course it's Dino De Laurentiis, Oh, right? poor Dino. <laughs> so they couldn't actually refer to the original movie. They couldn't really... The, the Lutz family is not mentioned or anything. It's vaguely sort of... it. The house is haunted and you just kind of go from there. So we kind of <laughs> have like a living dead versus dead thing with yeah, Romero and of. Dan O'Bannon. Like yeah, a little return bit. of the living dead versus, you know, yeah. dawn of the dead. Or whatever got, the hell's going on with Friday the 13th. Yeah, like like Hockey Mask Jason is trademarked, and that's different than Young Kid in a Lake Jason or so. Who knows? Correct. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, that's good, because if there's one thing this franchise needed, it was more confusion. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting, I like I said in the last episode, I'm a huge Amityville fan. In fact, when I was a child, I really wanted to buy the house and move into it. It was just one of these things that when I was a kid, my mother took me to the drive-in. I was probably around four, four and a half. And my mother takes me to this movie and it terrified me, absolutely mortified me. And I had nightmares. I remember a dream that was all in red. It was just horrifying. This explains so much about you. (laughs) So... I really did come to love this movie. I guess I come to love things that horrify me or whatever else. And I loved Amityville 2 as well, The Possession, which goes, it's a prequel. So Amityville, Amityville, the original story is about the Lutz family. They move in. They experience strange things in the house. It's a little scary. It is. There's something about mm-hmm. it, the way that it's made or whatever else. It's just, for it's me, a good, it's a very scary chilling. movie. I don't know. It, you know, a lot, most people say it's boring. Most people say it's flat. There's nothing. There's no gore, really. I mean, the second movie it ups the ante quite a bit. It expands on the real life story of the murders that actually happened. The DeFeo story, in sure. The DeFeo's, yeah. right, exactly. 
And then it, it goes a couple extra steps with it and almost turns it into like an exorcist style thing. I love the second movie, like legit as a movie, I think it's terrific. The third movie I never really liked, but I always saw it as a trilogy. These three movies stood alone. They were theatrical releases. There was a resurgence of 3D movies that came out in the early 80s, right around 82, 83, 84. There were maybe like eight 3D movies that were put out. Are we talking My Bloody Valentine, that kind More of thing? Like, let me just back up a little bit. The, the weird thing about Amityville 3 is that it touches on so many trends. So not only is it the 3D trend, but if you think about third sequels in movies, you would get Friday the 13th Part 3, 3D, mm-hmm. Jaws 3 in 3D, and then Amityville 3 in 3D, all within about a year and a half of each other. They can't. Then, it's right there. It's the third one. It's, it's set up for you. It's three. We just got to make right. it the D, all the Ds. But then there was another there was another trend that I jumped on, which was sort of the parapsychology bandwagon, the science and ghosting sort of thing. And in that you had the entity in 1982, you had poltergeist in 82. And then, of course, you had Ghostbusters in 84. And then Amityville just snuck right in the middle of that. And then the final one that it landed in the middle of was the slasher movie, you know, alive and well at the time. Yeah. Yeah, very, very much so. Everybody wanted to make a slasher. And, you know, I think that was the result of obviously Halloween and Friday the 13th. And and then all those offshoot movies that came out right between that period. And the whole idea behind Amityville really is the house is the slasher. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's never really rationalized what is going on in the house, what is causing the chaos. But it plays as... A pretty classic like slasher movie. Introduce the characters, kill them off. And they're killed off outside of the house, which I think was pretty random and bizarre. They had the trademark flies in the movie. Sure. So the flies come out and everything else. I mean, if you want to talk about plot, we certainly can. You know, I think um... it would I think the the trailer <laughs> is probably a little muddy. Maybe just a quick breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the movie concerns a journalist, his name's John Baxter, who investigates and uncovers a hoax happening at the Amityville house. And as he's in the midst of a divorce, when he learns the owner of the place wants to sell cheap, he sees opportunity and he snatches the place off the market. Quicker than you can say, get out. A disturbing number of flies are buzzing. Water faucets are turning on by themselves. Radiators are freezing over. It's basically my first apartment. (laughs) So, and then people start dying off, you know, and instead of Michael Myers or Jason or Leatherface, you get a house that murders people. And the whole time, John's completely oblivious to it all. He's just like, oh, you know, it's all coincidence. You're all being crazy. His ex-wife doesn't want their teenage daughter coming over. So she's, of course, immediately wants to come over with friends and stuff like that. House party. And one of the friends is so excited because she's like, oh, wow, you know, people died here. Isn't that excited? Did you know ghosts can have sex? Wait, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Hold on. Out of all your interest in ghosts, that's the one? That's You know what? I'm probably that friend, honestly. I feel like... (laughs) That would be the thing you say. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to judge. I'm probably that guy. So the, uh, the only interesting scene of the entire movie, truthfully, is a sequence where... John Baxter comes home and sees a 
commotion going on in the backyard, runs out to the back and there's a pier. I don't know if you remember the Amityville house set up, yeah. but there's a pier in the backyard. It's on a lake. And the daughter was there with, with friends. The friends had pulled the daughter off a boat and she was, she was unconscious. Mm. And so they're all trying to figure out what's going on and wake her up. She's not responsive. There's no pulse. So everybody's freaking out. In the meantime, the ex-wife shows up at the house looking for the daughter. The daughter walks into the house and she's all wet. And there's this really eerie moment where she just walks up the stairs and barely responds to the mom calling her. That was true direction. It was truly scary. It, it is very unsettling. It I, just got, fit- I just got creeped out listening to you tell me the story. I was like, ugh. Yeah, it, it, it's a really, really cool scene in an otherwise dreadful film. And it's what it's what this movie could have been and should have been. <laughs> and so they move this entire team in, bringing in a scientist, parapsychologist character and his entire team into the house. All hell breaks loose, Mike. There's a well in the basement as there was in the in the original. Sure. So they go down and they see something coming out of the well and then this fucking demon pops out and breathes fire, burns the guy's face off. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the just complete madness happens throughout the house. Windows are blowing out. A swordfish flies off the wall and nearly kills somebody. <laughs> oh, like, you can't have a swordfish around in a haunted house. That's in it. A, You've In a 3D movie, you do. You know, no, you have <laughs> got to choose your interior decorating a lot more responsibly than that in a haunted house. It's like... <laughs> You can't just, you can't keep, it's got sword in the name of the fish for Christ's sakes. That's, that's just (laughs) irresponsible. And then the house explodes. Literally it explodes. They destroy the Amityville horror house. So that is the, the gist of the Amityville horror three. (laughs) I'm sorry. uh, Amityville three D the demon. Do you know why they had to call it Amityville the demon? No. Because when they released, when they released the movie, It was called Amityville 3D, and it was out in the theaters that way, and it was in 3D. When they released it on video, people started getting angry and wanting to sue. Because people at home uh, who had no access to 3D technology were surprised to find out when they watched it at home that it wasn't in 3D. A lot of legalese going on with this movie. (laughs) Some of my films are outstanding for me. Films that I'm proud of. I'm proud of all my films, really. But films, I think, that have something special about them is is The 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Boston Strangler, Fantastic Voyage, uh, Compulsion is very high up on my list. And now, of course, Soylent Green. I'm going to give you the three directors of the three Amityville movie. I'm going to give you their names. Okay. And I'm going to give you two movies from their filmography. Mm. And I want you to apply their names to the movie that they directed. All right. So they either directed Amityville Horror, Amityville to the Possession, or Amityville 3D. Okay. This is this feels like Amityville or your or a hole in the ground. This is like, do you know your ass from your Amityville? This is all right. A new game here on Film Jitsu: your ass or an Amityville. Here we go. Stuart Rosenberg, uh huh, director of Cool Hand Luke. And the Pope of Greenwich Village. Which Amityville movie do you think he directed? Oh, wow. Um, he was the original, right? He was yes. the original? Yeah, he yeah, was the yeah, original yeah. director. Correct. 
All right, Richard Fleischer, 20,000 yeah. Leagues Under the Sea, and Torah, Torah, Torah. Which yeah. one did he direct? Like Soylent Green Richard Fleischer? Yeah, that guy. Red Sonia Richard Fleischer. I have yeah. no idea. I don't, did he, is this a trick? Wait, this is, did he do this one? Yeah. Okay. He totally did this one. <laughs> How would I know that? I, I... <laughs> and then Damiano Damiani did Amityville 2. Okay. He also directed, he directed from his two, I was going to give you Mafia and Angel with a Gun, but oh. you wouldn't know him. And that's because nobody knows who Damiano Damiani is. Yeah. But the other two directors in this series had some major credits under their belt, yeah. especially Richard Fleischer, yeah. who is a serious Serious director with lots and lots of credits. And it's like in every genre you can imagine. I mean, he did the original Dr. Doolittle. He did Fantastic Voyage. And as you said, he did so Correct Green. me if I'm wrong. Like, he's the jazz singer, right? That yeah, he Richard did the Fleischer? jazz singer with, with That's Neil crazy. <laughs> it's a bar <laughs> bet you'll win every time if you ask people whether or not the guy who directed the jazz singer also directed Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you'll win that one every time. Do you know that he won an Oscar at the very start of his career? He was a documentarian, and he earned the 1948 Academy Award for Best Documentary for a movie called Design for Death that was written by um, Theodore Geisel. Theodore Geisel? Like Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so he, he I feel like I've learned this, so like, much today. This, this, is, <laughs> this is unbelievable. This guy's career is so insane. He once directed, I think the movie, the name of the movie was Barabbas, and it was a religious epic that he shot in the Middle East. And during the time that he was shooting, there was going to be a total eclipse of the sun. Whoa. So he decided to film Christ's crucifixion scene during an actual eclipse. That scene in that movie is so startling. This guy, you want to talk chops? And he's walking into Amityville 3D? That's unreal. <laughs> I think the other thing that's really interesting about this movie is the cast. I... I, I specifically didn't discuss anybody because I just felt like you had to break the cast discussion out by itself. It's a pretty powerhouse cast. First, you got Tony Roberts and he's playing John Baxter, my favorite character name now. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this guy, Tony Roberts, along with a few other allegedly cool actors like Elliot Gould and Richard Benjamin are part of the DNA that gave us Will Ferrell's Ron Burgundy. Wow. There's just this weird air around Tony Roberts of decidedly uncool coolness. Uh-huh. Like, like his whole life is falling apart, but he's going to look great in these chinos and a blazer while drinking scotch. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what's going on with him in this movie. Tess Harper is in this as the as the ex-wife. And I was shocked to see her in it. Because I thought she had a lot more acting credits, but this turned out to be like her fourth movie. That's it. Oh. And she was already playing the thankless ex-wife role mm. by her fourth movie, which just didn't spell a lot of good for her career. She would go on later to do things like No Country for Old Men and stuff like that. But... She was Jesse Pinkman's mom, right? Yeah. Yes. A, a thankless yes. mother. There. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Right. She pretty much is just... That's her career, thankless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's awful in this movie, just awful. Totally one-dimensional. I don't think it's her fault because I think she's just written that way, but naggy and just terrible. Right? Poor Tess Harper. Then you've got 
as the daughter, Susan, Lori Laughlin. Aunt yes. Becky. Yeah, yeah, from Full House, Fuller House. And that whole ugly Stanford University thing she did <laughs> right. a few months in jail for. So. Federally <laughs> indicted Aunt Becky yeah. and former star of Amity 3D. She really didn't, like everybody else, she didn't have much to do, you know. And then even her death scene is, is she dies off camera. So you don't really know what the hell happened to her. Like when she was off in the boat mm-hmm. with her friends, she just comes back dead. Like you do. Seems like a big detail to just leave out. Finally, to round out the cast, I think the most important cast member of the entire film is Meg Ryan. Who, yeah, by the I way, saw Meg Ryan on the cast list. Is she is she like friend number three or is she got a she's role? She's the friend. No, she's in, a, in an actual role. She's the one that said, did you know that ghosts have sex? Oh, that's a Meg <laughs> Ryan line, huh? Ryan line. And wow. You can, you can fully see that Meg Ryan had 100% fully evolved into the superstar that she would be just a few years later already. The charisma, the quirkiness, the lightness, it's all there. And it's all as she's recounting the real-life murders that happened in the house. The first movie's most (laughs) tense moments and the scariest things that happened in it were these flashbacks to those murders. Mm. You know, the real estate agent is walking them through the house, and then they crash cut into the shotgun killing the family. Sure. It is brutal. It's a scary opener for a movie. Yeah. Amityville 3 just has Meg Ryan recounting the story. No, noted ghost boning expert young Meg Ryan says, <laughs> wow. This is just such a breezy way to handle such a gross backstory. Returning to Fleischer a little bit, I think we got to talk about the 3D and the fact that when he was interviewed about the movie, he... <laughs> He pretty much admitted that no one on the film really knew what they were doing with 3D. Mm. So their method of making the movie exciting as far as 3D goes is was just sticking whatever you could toward the lens. <laughs> just like whatever you could. So I made a small list of what you saw. It, flies. Just so many flies buzzing uh-huh. toward the camera. A glowing ghost ball. A pole that shoots through the windshield of a car. There's always a pull in these things, man. (laughs) This is like, (laughs) this is my complaint about all these 3d movies. It's like the thing that you want to be in 3d never is. And it's always like a rake. Yeah. Jason (laughs) Friday, the 13th 3d is perfect. There's like a, there's like a snake that jumps out of a chicken coop. Like this is a movie about a, 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 a machete wielding psychopath. And we just got like a snake that ate a chicken. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. In Amityville, of course you get a microphone. (laughs) A microphone pointing right at the camera. Was it just a, ch- a boom mic that got in the shot? Is that what it was? <laughs> and then there's a charred corpse that reaches for you at one point. Which oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was kind of neat, but it's wicked stagey. Yeah, I so... mean, the flies seem to be the thing that makes sense. Like, if, if we were doing a that 3D one, yeah. Amityville, I would want to see 3D flies. That yeah. Okay, that, I get that. There was a Frisbee, of uh, course. There has to mm. be a Frisbee. A f- that fl- That swordfish. <laughs> that swordfish Amityville 3D colon that swordfish that swordfish and then of course the well dwelling fire breathing demon which pops out at the end okay there. yeah there you go it's uh, super clunky and when you watch it without the 3D effect now you know there's a weird blurriness to everything so it's not quite double image but it's like the foreground and the background are weirdly separated. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Apparently the, the, the process that they used for some of these, a lot of these 80s movies 
that were 3D was called AeroVision, and the whole idea was that they blended the image in post-production rather than having to have two projectors the sure. way they did in the 50s. Yep. So it made it a lot easier to, to produce, but, you know, it just makes a really bizarre viewing experience. Were you still guaranteed to have a splitting fucking headache no matter what you do? Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but but being given the option to pay $10 more for just an absolutely excruciating headache is something that I look forward to as a modern audience goer. I'm, I'm hoping you had the choice back then to also completely destroy your eyeballs watching this. Is that... I'd love to know how the experience was for audiences, which begs the question: Did anybody go to see this movie? It was theatrically really. released. No, it did didn't. It, do it any didn't business? make it. No, not really. Not significantly. No, it's considered a bomb. Critically, it didn't fare very well. Audiences didn't think much of it. I think that it can all be summed up by the opening shot of the film, where the credits are rolling, and of course you get the three D Amityville three D. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like kind of coming. You have at to. You. you have to. Yeah. The, the title must like with the be old in 3D. airplane. The old airplane font. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> like it's the same one they use in Jason Three. Yeah. Yes, Friday the Thirteenth. Yes. And I yep. think in Jaws Three D too. Uh huh. Sure. So the credits are playing out. The camera is on the whole house, right? It's filming it from the yard, and we're dollying to the left. And you kind of see the trees in front of you. And every once in a while, a branch just reaches down, kind of definitely not being held by a crewman's hand. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it kind of comes down and you're like, oh, OK, all right. And, and when it does, there's a piano. And then you, you keep going left. And then that same branch. comes The down same again. one. <laughs> More branch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We, we need, need more, more branch, branch over here. Four times in the same shot, that branch. You must have traveled about 100 feet. <laughs> same branch just keeps coming down. That's Amityville 3D for you right there. Thanks for taking the ride. I'm glad I could give you uh, what seemed a little bit of a gift. You know, I know here on Film Jitsu, we try <laughs> to stick it to each other all the time. And this was a little bit of a, a an olive branch. Maybe not like four times over 100 yards kind of olive branch, but... I just love that goddamn house. I love those eye windows. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe we need a film jitsu road trip. I, I know the homeowners really love it when people show up on their private property. What could go wrong with a plan like that? You know what would be great? I, I don't even want to go to the real Amityville Horror House. I want to go to the one in New Jersey where they shot the movies. I want to go to that one. I was with you right up until New Jersey. I, uh, I think I'm good. <laughs> That's I'm <fair>. square. <laughs> So to accompany Amityville 3D, we decided on bottom five houses. And with that said, what was your approach here? Was it the same as what I said? You don't want to go anywhere near it? You don't want to go inside? 
Yeah, pretty much. This place has to suck, right? That's <laughs> that's what it was about. I, I gave myself the added challenge because I've been so impressed with you adding layers of difficulty onto this. I've been phoning these fucking lists in like nobody's <laughs> business. And here you are being like, I'm only going to do <laughs> bottom fives that translate in Latin to, and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here, man? I'm just, I don't know. I've just, I think I just say the shining four times and move the fuck on. So I, I decided to, to give myself another layer of uh, challenge and I decided not to have any haunted houses on my list. There could come a time where we do mm. bottom five haunted houses, which mm-hmm. again is sort of just top five haunted houses, right? <laughs> Let's, uh, we're the, it's not rocket science here. But yeah, so I, I tried to give myself at least that much of a challenge. It doesn't mean that I don't have any houses from horror films. I do. Okay. But my number five pick, I know I'm going to be on the losing side of this argument. <laughs> if you know me, I am not a little person. And so uh, Bilbo Baggins' Hobbit hole (laughs) sounds like the worst goddamn thing in the world. It's a hole in the ground. You're knocking your head everywhere you go. The doors that just, there's sort of the round door with the, the knob in the middle. Nobody's got fucking time for that. I'm trying to bring my groceries in and shit. This, I get it. I, I know that Peter Jackson has set up like the Shire. There's a 12 acre piece of property in New Zealand where they have set up the Shire, you can go and visit. They burned down the original sets. You know, the sets were just yeah. facades and they weren't real, but people thought this was so goddamn cool they built them now and you can go and visit the Shire in New Zealand. No goddamn thank you. I want nothing to do with the Hobbit Hole. I don't want to live in the ground. It, it must smell so goddamn bad in that thing. <laughs> I just, I, I know I'm going to be on the losing side of this. And the Shire is great. I would love to live in the Shire, but I would it kill us to have a fucking cottage that is square and that I could at least stand up in. So when I looked at the, and sometimes dwarves show up and run amok in your fucking place and you can't do anything about it. A hole in the ground full of rude dwarves where I'm knocking my head and it, it sounds fucking terrible. So for me, number five, and it's number five because I realize everybody loves the goddamn Shire that's why it's back at number five, but Bilbo's Hobbit hole is a bottom five house. for And, the, this and it's a big part of the story that he always wants to return home. He always wants to be back in the comfort of, of his house in the Shire. That in the just Shire. falls completely flat for you. huh? <laughs> no, thank you. Well, interestingly, I'm going after a lot of people's treasured chalice of a film with my number five. And that's star Wars, a new hope. Uh, you know, the Lars home on Tatooine. Mm. (laughs) They had to create a place so barren and terrible that the hero of the movie would want to do just about anything to get out of there. Uh Seriously, think about it. Luke hated this place so much that he wanted to go to battle in an interstellar war to get away. (laughs) I mean, it was a moisture farm, is that right? Yeah, it's living in what's essentially an adobe on a desert planet in the armpit of the galaxy. Uh Uh-huh. This isn't just a bad house. It's a bad house on a horrible planet. That's a bad place to be. Yeah, you're right. It's grimy and sandy and horrible. You're right. It's a moisture farm. So, like, Mm -hmm. that's what you do with your day. You farm water. It's it's just everything about it is awful. The best place to go on this planet is, quote, a wretched hive of scum and villainy. That's the best place is Moss Island. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We've been to some wretched hives of scum and villainy. We've been those scums and villains, Santo. I'm sure of it. 
But uh, but you're right. The house itself. Good lord. Amazingly, you know the entire, the entire fucking nine movie Skywalker arc ends here, back at that house with Ray deciding to live in this shithole because she's now a Skywalker. Like she just said, this is where she wanted to go at the end of all of it. I mean, with rising real estate prices across the universe, having something that was already paid for. That's I who can blame her, right? It's a tough market out there. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Star Wars number five. That house sucked. My number four is the Delta Fraternity House oh. in the nineteen seventy eight classic Animal House. Oh. Nice. Nice. You want tetanus? This is how you get tetanus. <laughs> Do you want venereal disease? This is how you you get get. venereal disease. The building has fire damage on the outside. (laughs) Literally every window is broken. Just imagine what it must have smelled like at the Delta house after one of those toga parties. You know. Just beer and sweat and stink. Feet. Just feet. feet, Just like feet and failure. And... and, (laughs) Oh, it's and, and, it's a great movie. It's obvious, you know. Hey, oh, look, yeah, yeah, adorning dorm room walls all across America. Of course, college. John Belushi in his college shirt. Sure, <laughs> it's a great film. But man, is there anybody that would want to spend a single afternoon in that frat house? And imagine the distinction of being the worst and most disgusting fraternity <laughs> house. Like, think about that. Yeah, yeah, that's real bad. Interestingly, my number four is also a comedy, The Money Pit, <laughs> directed by Richard Benjamin from 1986. Uh, this is a, a hilarious movie that I think is probably lives in the nostalgia pack for most people our age. Yep. Uh, you know, Tom Hanks and Shelley Long move into their quote unquote dream house, have to do some renovations because it is an older house. And then it just turns out that everything that could go wrong does go wrong. I think this a legitimate fear of home ownership in me like an actual perhaps to a whole fear. generation of yeah people. i i really think it might have i am terrified by the the turn sweat equity so i can't <laughs> possibly handle any of this i think that you know the fact that everything that could go wrong does with the plumbing the electrical the gas shoddy door frames the broken staircase a raccoon infestation, <laughs> bad water. <laughs> like the place is just a total nightmare. When that, when that bathtub falls through the falls floor, through that and he is... just has a breakdown. That is a screen star you know, Absolutely. in that moment. Just to keep things neat and tidy here, jumping ahead a little bit, I have the money pit as number one on my list. And I thought for oh. sure it was, go- I thought we would share a number one. Here. Oh my God. I thought, I thought 
the money pit would absolutely be number one on your list. It's number one on mine for all the reasons you said, you know, the house coming apart at the seams, but you're right. This was almost Hank's at kind of the height of his powers just before this was bachelor party and splash in 84. And then right after this was big, the burbs Turner and Hooch in 89 before he made that move into a little bit more, you know, serious material for sure. But this was that unhinged every man. Tom Hanks played, he was never too big. You know, he was never Clark Griswold at the end of Christmas Vacation. But he was always that, the guy who just wanted to do right, was just trying to have a regular day. And so couldn't get out of his own way. You know, in a lot of those movies you know the burbs he's just a guy who's bored on vacation and causes some <laughs> shit and this is the same kind of thing he buys this house and they're so convinced it's gonna work out and then hilariously it's not just like oh this house is a dump it's oh, like no. you know the stairs explode when you're walking <laughs> up like there's no way this house ever could have been built this way it's like but a it's strong so wind funny. would have knocked it over you know yeah but it's <laughs> But Hank sells it. It's like he one really thing does. after another. And you just kind of go on this, you know, the, the characters kind of come apart the same oh, way that yeah, the house yeah. does. Yeah, the relationship does. It's so does, funny. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. If, if, if any of our listeners out there haven't spent time with the money pit, I, I don't know that it tops the burbs for me for Tom it's Hanks comedy, but it's It's way up there. Close. Yeah. Yeah. The scene with the electrical that goes nuts, too. You can find some of the scenes on YouTube and just watch the scene that leads up to the bathtub falling through the floor. It, there's this whole scene in the kitchen where everything goes completely batshit crazy with the electrical. Yeah, the outlets are exploding. Right. There's a scene right before it gets to right as it gets to the tiles might be one of the greatest jump scares ever, like in <laughs> horror or not the way that they did that sequence. I was like, whoa, it's a really good one, man. So yeah, the money pit. I'm glad that's really cool that you had it at number one. I'm really surprised. I thought our number one was going to be the same, so I'm really interested to hear the rest of your list. Oh, what do you okay? What do you have at uh, number? What do you at number three or yeah? That's sorry. right. Yeah, number three for me uh, is the House of Wax oh. from the 1953 film of the same name, House of Wax, starring Vincent Price as Professor Harry Gerard. It's a house full of wax figures, which are already <laughs> creepy. But these ones, spoiler alert, are full of dead people. <laughs> Not to be confused with the remake that I think was 2005-ish with Paris with Hilton. Paris Hilton. <laughs> everybody enjoyed watching Paris Hilton get killed. This is actually a really pretty great flick from 1953. It kicked off yeah. Vincent Price's career as that fiendish madman. You know, mm-hmm. he would go on to do the mask of the red death and the tingler and all of those kind of things. It really established him as Hollywood's go-to fiend. But here he plays a a young sculptor who's famous for these amazing wax sculptures. His business partner burns down the house of wax. Vincent price is horribly disfigured. And I mean, what's a guy to do when you're horribly disfigured in a fire? Well, you start murdering people and putting them inside of wax and reopen your house of wax. Clearly, Uh, that's the only thing left to do. What else could a guy do, right? So uh, a couple of fun things. Uh, Did you know that Charles Death Wish Bronson 
is in this movie. He plays no. Igor, the assistant to Vincent Price. In a, wow. I, I mean, one of his absolute earliest roles. Wow. One of the reasons why I had to include this, I actually just saw this at a drive-in over the summer was mm-hmm. the first time. I saw it with a big group of, uh, of horror fans. It was a great experience. This was the first color film released in 3D. Oh wow! Tying right into the theme exactly. Of I couldn't. I Very couldn't cool. leave it alone. I could not leave it alone. So it's actually it's a good movie. I really have to say. I mean, it works as a bit of a dramatic film. You know, it's a little campy as a 1953 horror might be. Vincent Price is always a little over the top. That house. It's this great set, and it's full of these creepy as fuck wax mannequins. I, maybe this says more about the kind of thing that gives me the willies than than anything else, but. A house of wax full of dead people covered in wax. No fucking thank you. <laughs> I think that's a great choice. I never saw it, so I'm I'm happy to hear about it. And I, I, I it definitely sounds like one of those items I need to tackle. Well, I'm going to go with a slight weird house as well for my number three. And that's the house in Houseu, or the movie House, oh. from 1977 by no- so weird. Nobuhiko Aboyashi made this film uh i don't know how many people know this oddity from japan but it's uh, a trip that's worth at least taking once it's a movie about a teenage girl named gorgeous and her six school friends who travel to gorgeous's aunt's house each of the girls is a really clearly drawn archetype so you have prof who is smart mac who eats too much kung fu that's athletic i think you get the idea and then Uh, Like Amityville 3D, the house itself is the killer. Sort of. So (laughs) without any real setup, strange things start happening. The girls start getting picked off one by one in very unique fashion by household furniture and items. So it's a uh, real weird movie. Like this, it's so weird. This has potential to be a future film jitsu episode. It, it is could be. so it could out be. there. Yeah, for sure. But I like it. I mean, I actually find it a really interesting film. Um, I, I love the fact that a piano eats a girl or that a mattress kills another one. A, one gets swallowed by a grandfather clock. I mean, this <laughs> is some weird stuff. Gorgeous herself gets possessed by a mirror by her aunt, who has apparently been dead for a long time. And, you know, it, it, it appears that the house consumes unmarried girls. That's the the whole idea behind it <laughs> because now this aunt... is this is not to be confused with the steve minor film no no House no no yeah from 85 right which i also love i think that's, that's a, a great movie that's a zany that movie was the first movie that came to mind yeah when you said bottom yeah. five houses i was like i would never want to live in william Katz's house from house but yeah. it, was, it was too obvious for me so the second one that popped into my head was house because it's mm. also called house <laughs> right so did you know how this movie got made out of curiosity? Did you ever hear about no, how this? This no. is really interesting. So Abayashi is like a like a real pioneer of experimental filmmaking and directed something like 3,000 commercials in his career. Yeah, it's insane. insane. He was pitched to do this feature-length film off of the success of Jaws. So they wanted to make like a like a spectacle thriller type. And this is what he came up with. The house is a shark? Yeah, kind of, right? He basically consulted his very young daughter about her ideas. She gave him all these ideas that ended up in the movie. 
Like like all these like the the watermelon that they put down the well that ends up becoming a decapitated head, you know, <laughs> things like that. Like all came from his daughter, and I think is that's she so great. okay? How did, how did that kid turn out? I'd be like, hey, hey, bad news. Uh, I got a really great idea for a movie, but we have to leave our kid somewhere in the woods and get the fuck out of here because <laughs> she's it. not okay. To, clearly, but I, you know, I like I said, I love it. There's it's just filled with insane colors and this is just a ton of blue screen special effects and freaky animated special effects and the music's like like a cat on the piano horror themes mixed with (laughs) amusement park fanfares and goblin-esque jamming you know it's just all of that kind of combined in one in one score it is makes complete sense it's a completely bonkers movie like i said totally worth visiting at least once i yeah, i'd like that's to a great way to put it. it everybody should try it once <laughs> what's your number two my number two uh pretty simple here i'm going with buffalo bill's house in silence oh, of the lambs wow okay there's a fucking murder well in the basement yeah. yep that is a that is a creepy house it's it's dirty. There's moths flying around in it. I'll say it again. There's a fucking murder well in a basement. <laughs> I don't know what it is with horror movies, like a well in a basement. I've been in a lot of houses. I've never been in well. lots. I've never seen a well, but I can tell you if I was ever in a house and saw a well in the basement, I'd be like, well, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'll never be back. Who would buy this house? Why would you need this house? It should be a pretty clear indicator to any real estate agent that sells a house with a well in it that whoever bought it is a fucking psychopath. And you should just <laughs> like hit, like finish signing the papers, hand over the keys, be like, it's been nice working with you. I'm calling the fucking police now. That's Throw the keys from work. the car as you're yeah. driving away. Oh, oh a thousand percent. <laughs> Get <Yep>. out. <laughs> yep. Be like, it's been very nice. This has been a very <laughs> elaborate real estate based trap to catch a psychopath. Uh, so here's a fun thing about this house. So the house where they shot the movie yeah. is in Periopolis, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour out of Pittsburgh. It is now owned by a guy mm-hmm. who rents the house out for like an overnight. It's like a Airbnb oh. now. Oh, I no. actually, so you can go to buffalobillshouse.com and for oh. the low price of five ninety five a night, you Oof. can rent the whole house. I mm. actually met the guy who owns the house. I, I met <laughs> him at a, a horror convention over the summer. He's a super nice guy. Really, <laughs> he just kind of did it on a whim. It was one of those, like, he impulse bought the house from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and and now, I mean, he rents it up. People can rent the whole place for, I mean, bachelor parties, weekend retreats. Oof. He he's building the murder well in the basement. Turns out there wasn't a murder well yeah, in the yeah. actual it wasn't house. The same he's, location. Yeah, he's putting it in there. Um, <laughs> you can buy his, you know, his branded Buffalo Bills house lotion. May, I don't know. Maybe we <laughs> add it on to our road trip. No, maybe, we do not add we're, that. No. We're taking this show on the road. We're gonna go to Amityville and Jersey, and then down to Pennsylvania to the Buffalo Bill house. Oh man. I appreciate this one for its set design. You know, it isn't so cartoonishly over the top. You know, there aren't pictures with scribbled out eyeballs all over the wall and that kind of thing. It looks like the place that a really twisted, sick person would live. And if I hadn't mentioned it, there's the fucking murder well. 
in the basement. That is enough to be number two on my list. And of course, I already re- you already revealed your number one, so I've got to do two in a row here. You got to you got to you got to bring us on. <laughs> well, home. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my number one because it follows so well after your number two, and then I'll go back to my number two. So, I will allow it. Yep, so my uh, number one is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. house. Of course. Is there a dirtier, nastier, grosser, more frightening house than the one that Leatherface and family call home? In the the answer is no. Now? The answer no. is no, there is not. There isn't. There is not. <laughs> the only reason I didn't pick it is because I think last week when we were talking about this bottom five, I kind of spewed it off as Did you my really? go-to. I think I might have said oh. something about the Texas Chainsaw House. So I excluded it from my list because I thought I had kind of already dropped it as an example. I didn't me. even realize that you did that. You're a, is, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, you've got <laughs> you've got lampshades made with human skin. You've got chicken bones hanging all over the place. Bloods all over the walls. Is that what is that? A, that crazy cutting block thing that's mm-hmm. in the kitchen. That sliding door. That metal so door. So scary. Everything about that place. The stairs are terrifying. That yeah. upward. That upstairs room with the skeleton where Grandpa sit. Oh my God. Yeah. Everything One star it, would not come back. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I think what's interesting, too, is just how how awful I hear the that the the production of that film was. They shot, obviously, in Texas during the summer. That house was unventilated and they used real blood on the walls. They sprayed from a from a local slaughterhouse. They flicked blood all over the walls and everything. Can you imagine being in an unventilated house? It's about 110 degrees, they said, inside the the harsh working conditions on the film turned those non-actors that were in the you know because these weren't professionals really i mean these are all amateurs at work right exactly there's a real sense that thing feels like a documentary and Mm -hmm. spots it really does that fear seems so genuine i you know there some of the stories about that scene with grandpa with the hammer and stuff Uh you can see i mean you can see how close he is coming with that hammer and he's coming down hard on that mm-hmm. floor and, and apparently the actor says he was aiming for the floor but i mean like how close and that one dude with the, when the chainsaw falls right by his head gunner hansen says stop moving around if you don't want to lose part of you and then right. came about three inches from the guy's face you know i mean like that's you're terrified these people must have been absolutely you know walking around with ptsd after the film shoot sure Yes, and so much of it is the house. So much of it is that house. It really is. And, you know, the house was actually a Victorian-style, what was called a pattern book construction from the early 1900s. You would order pieces of a house out of a catalog, and then they would assemble it on site. And in 1998, they broke the house into six pieces and moved it to another city. I just... I. They re- they they apparently retouched the whole thing and, and restored it to its proper glory. I would never set foot. <laughs> Doesn't matter nope. how beautiful, how grand it is. I do not care. Nope. Nope. Lesson Big learned. Nope. You can't you can't go to the Texas Chainsaw <laughs> House. Absolutely not. I don't care where they move it. I do not care if it's next door to my house on my street. <laughs> I'm not going. No, I'm interested in in what you're going to say about my number two. And wondering if you might think it could be a number one. So it's kind of neat that it's coming last here. It's from Train Spotting, Swanee's Heroin Den. 
It was on my list oh, and I, I replaced it. I had it on Why? my list. This was this was me, I think, splitting hairs. I think for oh, me, okay. I was like, eh, it's not really a house so much as a a crack den. Like I think there was several some... rooms. It's an apartment, no? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I had some sort of like, I don't know if this is quite proper residential for my list here. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, it was oh. it, it's funny that you say that because it ended up getting bumped uh off my list. I would have had it at number six. Oh my god. Um, it's so disgusting. It's so stained. There's water and shit stains. There's holes on the wall. There's the peeling ceiling. You know, there's graffiti. <laughs> it's just like everything that you can imagine. The The production designer, her, her name is Cave Quinn, and she's gone on to do some like really regal work, like something, and it's all like very British, right? Like 2012's <laughs> A Woman in Black. Oh, wow. Uh, 2013's Diana, 2020's Emma. You know, these are regal, these really regal prestige productions, right? But this stuff and she did in Trainspotting with that room and, I mean, everything that happens in there, they're so pathetic, those shoot-up scenes, oh. and they're so disheartening. And then the baby dies in that place. I can't take That's it. That's where I the baby dies. It. I can't and take that it. Is, I we mean, talked so... about Requiem for a Dream a little while back. Right. Train spotting is another one of those one timers for me. I, is I went it really? there. I'm not. Oh yeah, I can't do it again. Yep. Okay, gotcha. That baby scene, and that was before I had kids. Now that yeah, I've right. had children of my own, I I know that I couldn't do it. But you know what? You had me at shit stains. That's <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> yeah, it, it was true. on my list, and once again, you have showed me up because <laughs> uh, just a few minutes ago, I was talking about how I don't like hobbit holes, but there's no shit stains in a hobbit hole. <laughs> At least, you know what? Well, I didn't see be. what the, I didn't see what the bathroom situation is. I can't, you know. I, now that I think about it, I can't imagine what sitting on a uh, on a Hobbit toilet would be like. But <laughs> I, I didn't see any shit stains in the wall. So again, you have bested me in the bottom five because I'm complaining <laughs> that there's not enough headspace in this glorious pastoral little cottage, and you're like, oh, there's shit stains in a dead baby. You win. You win. So this week, Mike, I was thinking a lot about filmmaking, uh, that director Richard Fleischer, you know, in his career and everything that he did, it just really struck me how passionate people are about filmmaking. And that got me to thinking about what I find as one of the best documentaries about filmmaking, which is Hearts of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, the 1991 film from Eleanor Coppola, who is... <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola's wife, she shot all the footage. And then directors Fax Bear and George Hickenloper, who took the footage, recorded new interviews and in 91 or 90, and then put this thing together. It is an incredible story, which is really interesting because Hearts of Darkness gets its title from the Joseph Conrad story, Heart of Darkness, about Colonel Kurtz going down the river and, and going crazy and yeah. power mad, which is what... Apocalypse Now was based on. In Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, Francis Ford Coppola himself is Kurtz. He is captain of this insane production about the Vietnam War. He is in way over his head, way over budget. 
he doesn't have finished script pages. He's got a rogue, crazy actor who wants all this money and just <laughs> wants to improvise his way through, who's lazy, you know, and he's just trying to hold everything together and trying to achieve his vision for the movie. Ultimately, it would become a, a rather fascinating film. I don't know mm. how successful Apocalypse Now is as a narrative, but it is a fascinating fucking movie to watch. I've, I watch it probably once every other year. Just wow. go back to it and revisit it. And every time I watch it, I feel like I get something new out of it. But I'll tell you, Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse, I watch every time I watch Apocalypse Now. I have to really? watch them together. Yeah. And I just think that if you're interested in film, if you're interested in passion, and if you're interested in madness, if you're just interested in the frailty of human psychology and the craziness that happens when the creative urge strikes, when you add money and resources to it, and there's and then you get so deep that you can't find your way out. I just fascinated by this movie so i think you know if you haven't seen it you should take a look and if you have seen it you should definitely take a look again you've done a, a, a good thing here because we may have people out there listening that haven't ever sat down with apocalypse now and so yeah, you've kind of given possible. us two picks this yeah is it's a, a little bit like two picks yeah. it's a little bit of a twofer right you have to you have to watch apocalypse now and follow it up that's that's a great pick well, my staff pick this week uh, is a film from the year 2010, uh, and I would like to recommend to folks this week, uh, directed by Deborah Granick, I am going with the film Winter's Bone, starring Jennifer Lawrence uh, and an amazing performance from John Hawks. If you're a fan of the show Ozark on Netflix, yeah. this is is the movie for you. This entire movie is about a, a young girl uh, played by Jennifer Lawrence, you know, and it takes place in one of those really poor, dirty, desperate Ozark communities. And she has a father that has gone missing. He owes money to people that are dangerous and powerful. And if she can't find her dad, she's going to lose her house. She's got siblings. She's in this desperate situation. And so now this kid has to start navigating through this kind of criminal underworld mm. to find out what happened to her father. Mm. The performances by the supporting cast here are really, really great. John Hawks as Teardrop is bone chilling in this movie. You know, he plays one of these rough dangerous locals that she has to contend with to kind of figure, you know, she's at the mercy of these dangerous people. You know, her father owes money to characters like teardrop and she's got to go around basically begging for their mercy and standing up to them as just this essentially child. It's I, a, I'm curious. Can I just ask real quick? Like John hmm. Hawks is able to pull that off, huh? Like he's, he doesn't strike me as like a particularly usually he plays sort of feeble characters and or frail. funny. Yep. Yeah, or funny no. or just idiosyncratic. So bone chilling that he earned himself an Academy Award uh nomination for his performance wow. as a, as a supporting actor. This is this is a movie full of absolutely masterful performances. 
you know, Jennifer Lawrence has become a big thing. She's done a lot of stuff, some good, some bad. I think she can be a very polarizing actress. I actually really like Jennifer Lawrence as an actress, but this movie where she was very young, she was very inexperienced. It was one of those audacious debut performances. I saw Winter's Bone and I was like, oh, this girl's going to be a big deal. And a lot of the credit for these performances goes to the direction of Deborah Granick, who is herself, you know, a very inexperienced director in that, you know, she only has a handful of, of titles to her name. Well, she wrote it too, right? She Granick? did. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a movie that just kind of grabs you by the throat and doesn't let go. So mm. uh, for me, it's a, it's a real absolute winner. Uh, and I think it's a before they were famous performance for Jennifer Lawrence that you absolutely should check out. If you like anything else that she's done, do. start at the beginning because she's fantastic here. What is it you want? We hold the bond on Jessup Dolly. He didn't show for court. That ain't no run. Jessup signed over everything. If he doesn't show a trial, see, the way the deal works is y'all gonna lose his house here. And got some place to go. I'll find him. Girl, I've been looking. I said I'll find him. He was warned, and you wouldn't listen. Why didn't you listen? Mike, puppets, muppets, marionettes, dummies. You know what? They're all the same to me. They're puppets. <laughs> and while it's not a question that's asked often, it's a question that has been asked. What happens with puppets when no one is looking? <laughs> What happens when puppets stop being polite and start getting real? The son of one of the greatest puppet creators ever and the heir to the throne of the greatest puppet studio on the planet had such thoughts. Brian Henson, son of the great, inspiring Jim Henson, in 2018 decided to go where Peter Jackson did nearly 30 years prior by making an adult Muppet movie called The Happy Time Murders. It was critically lambasted, Ew. nominated for six Razzies, including Ew. Worst Actress, for which it won, Worst Director, and Worst Picture, and scoring just a 23% fresh rating at Rotten Tomatoes. Some say the movie is funny and misunderstood. Most say it's unwatchable dreck. Well, Mike, it's up to you to settle this score once and for all. Is Brian Henson a creep or simply oh. a genius? That most cannot understand. I have been dodging this movie <laughs> relentlessly since I first heard about it. I have been doing everything I can to duck this garbage. So listen for our bottom five, bottom five puppets. And yes, yep. that also includes marionettes, dummies, and muppets. So uh -huh. pretty much anything on strings or with a hand up its ass. <laughs> I should have known that I would have to watch this movie in my life one day. And apparently that's going to be next week. I, I feel up to the task. I'm a little mortified at having to explain to my wife what I'm going to be watching in our living room sometime <laughs> over the course of the next week. But uh, I'll just, I should be like, what are you doing? I'll be like, oh, Santo. And that'll, that'll explain everything. That'll explain so, everything. Yeah. The definitely. happy time murders. Okay. I'll give it a whirl. Well, <laughs> thanks everybody for listening this week as we tackle the Amityville 3D as always, we've been your hosts. I am Jay. And I am Mike. Thanks for listening. See you next time. 
темнате, хочу да се кате, вежба часата и сате, карате, карате, вежбачу так задни ми кяи, застане и зачем. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought it on home for us there, buddy. Good work. Nah. <laughs> I can't say anything else. I think we've already talked too much about the movie. I'm going to cut your your whole thing down to about a second. So. Uh, the <laughs> olive branch I got to keep, though. <laughs> no, just keep, just keep. <laughs> Jason, what do you feel about the movie? Uh, <laughs> it's 